You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. We are in the ninth week of our series uh, where we are going verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. If you're brand new to Rev Church, I say this before almost every sermon, what we like to do 90 to 95% of the time is verse is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or large sections sections of Scripture, like the Sermon on the Mount. The reason we do that is because it forces us to deal with difficult passages of Scripture, like the one we're going to go over today, and keeps us from abusing certain subjects, uh, like the subjects we're going to talk about today has been abused in the past in churches uh, when we just go verse by verse. I heard about this preacher that was struggling to pay the bills at his church. He was at a you know, traditional Baptist church, and so he had an idea. He went before the congregation one Sunday and said, we need to raise some extra money. We're going to take an offering up, and whoever gives the most amount of money will get to pick three hymns. Well, they pass the plate, he gets the offering plate, and he sees that somebody had put a very significant amount of money in the offering plate that would cover all the bills and then some. And so he got really excited. He stopped the service. He said, guys, somebody's given enough money for us to cover the bills for really the next several months. Who gave this money? On the back row was Mrs. Smith, sweet senior saint about 85 years old, raised her hand. He said, Miss Smith, come on up front. We're going to celebrate this. She comes up front. He says, Miss Smith, since you gave the most amount of money, you get to pick three hymns. She said, all right. She looked around and scanned the crowd, and she said, I'll pick him, him, and him. So go home with him. (laughs) Today we're going to talk about building heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure. Miss Smith was looking at that earthly treasure. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? If I was going to give my sermon a title today, it would be the treasure test. Today, the first two points, we're going to look very practically at what Jesus says. And then the third point, we are going to look at the spiritual aspect that many times gets glossed over. So we're going to go to the deeper end of the pond, so to speak, um, and we're going to talk about the core of what Jesus is saying when he talks about our money and our wealth. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Let's go ahead and start. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Jesus says, do not store up. Now, let me preface this by saying this too. Remember last week. Remember last week, Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite when it comes to your generosity, your prayers, and your fasting. We'll reference that a couple times today. Listen to what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the very first part of this passage, which is in the greater context of the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll reference several times during this sermon, 
The first thing that Jesus says is, you need to protect your heart from the love of money. Specifically, the first thing he says is, make sure you have an eternal perspective when it comes to your money. In other words, make sure all of you that claim to follow Jesus, because remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not about how to become a Christian. It's, it was preached to people that were already Christians on how to be sanctified and be more like Jesus. What he's saying is, pursue heavenly treasures over earthly treasures. Now, I love this subject. This is one of my favorite subjects to preach on. And some of y'all are like, well, yeah, you're a preacher. Of course you like talking about money, you know? But I believe that this subject will absolutely change your life. And I believe that the Bible, when it comes to our wealth, speaks to it probably more than just about anything else. In fact, if you did a word study, you'll find that the word love is in the Bible about 714 times. The word believe is in the Bible 272 times. The word pray is in the scripture 371 times. And the word give is in the scripture some 2,152 times. Of all the parables that Jesus gave us, 39 of them, 16 of them had something to do with generosity, our money, and material possessions. It's been estimated that one out of ten verses in the Gospels has to do with generosity, material possessions, and our money. The Bible and Jesus talk so much about wealth because God knew it would be one of the greatest spiritual struggles we would have to overcome, which is the love of money. In fact, being in ministry, I've found that typically one of, and I'm not judging people for this, this was true with me too, uh, one of the last things that people are obedient with is their money. One of the last things, like someone gets saved, typically years down the road, typically years down the road is when someone starts to tithe or starts to give in a regular basis. Maybe they'll give out of emotion or sporadically in between them, but but really, it takes quite a while for someone to get to the place where, where they're regularly giving. It's typically one of the last things. Why? Because every single one of us struggles with obedience with money. Jesus is saying, when you use your money for the kingdom, it has everlasting value. The last two years, we have been raising funds to try to get a permanent facility uh, we do this legacy sign this year, and, and we talk about raising all this money. Well, I don't know if you know this, but three months ago when we purchased uh, Rocky Top 10 Theater, and it's now Revolution Church, uh, we were able to put $1 million down on that purchase. You know why? Because God's people, God's people said, we're going to build some heavenly treasure. We're going to give to this thing. If you gave one penny... It's not about the amount. It's about the sacrifice and the attitude towards it. Remember the widow's might. If you gave one penny towards that million dollars that we put down, you were building treasure in heaven. Because all we're trying to do as a church is reach more people and make more of an impact, mobilize together more so that we can go make a difference for Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount that we've, you know, we're in the ninth week of, in the first eight weeks... We, we already have seen five different things that Jesus refers to that accumulates rewards in heaven. Uh, in 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus said, persecution for Jesus' sake builds rewards. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus says, loving your enemies accumulates rewards in heaven. Last week, we saw three separate areas where Jesus says we accumulate rewards. Generosity done in secret accumulates rewards. Sincere prayer done in secret accumulates rewards. Sincere fasting done in secret accumulates rewards. And what Jesus is saying here is don't exchange your eternal rewards for temporary rewards. Jesus is denouncing a lie focused on the accumulation of more and more stuff. The idea is the, the worldly hoarding of wealth and riches. Psalm chapter 49, I'm going to read several uh, scriptures today, especially Old Testament, just to see. So you can see this vein that runs through scripture when it comes to generosity and greed. So you can see the idea that's all throughout the Bible. It says, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches are wicked. When I used to teach teenagers in the public schools abstinence, and when I would do uh, lessons on purity, I used to use this example that I think is very appropriate today when it comes to generosity. I would be encouraging them, you know, to wait uh, to have sex until they were married and save it for inside the context of marriage because it's best then. I would say, you know, let me ask you guys a question. If you had a five-year-old and you said, listen, you can have your choice of one of two things. Either you can have this king-sized candy bar that's your favorite candy bar now, or you can wait till you're 18 years old, and I will pay for your college education completely. I'll cover the tuition. I'll cover the books. I'll cover the travel. I'll cover the room and board. I'll cover everything. What do you think a five-year-old would choose? The candy bar. Why? Because they're not mature. They're not mature. Jesus is saying, look, you can choose to have the candy bar now or you can wait till you get to heaven and have eternal rewards. Your attitude towards your wealth is directly connected to the maturity of of your relationship with Christ and how grown up you are spiritually. I know some people that have been a Christian for less than five years and they have matured greatly. And I know some people that have been a Christian for 50 years and they love that candy bar. Love that candy bar. Is everybody okay? Say amen. Y'all sense the tension in the room? You sense it? That's the love of money working on us all right now. Even if you don't have it, you're thinking, what's he going to say? Don't get in trouble, Pastor Josh. Don't say something. Oh, no. This is a loaded subject. Jesus even says he doesn't pull any punches, right? He comes out of the gate and says, hey, if you show me your transactions, I'll show you what you care about. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. What Jesus is saying is, don't miss this, y'all. If you want a heart for God, Start to give your money to his kingdom and the purposes of his kingdom. Hey, listen, if you're like the typical American church person that comes about 1.2 to 1.7 times a month, 
You know, when you wake up on Sunday, you don't even know if you're going to be here. You sign up to serve, but then a month later, you bow out of it. In other words, you have a hard time being committed to church. Start to give to the church. Start to get invested with your pocketbook and watch how quick all of a sudden you'll care about what's going on. Is everybody with me saying that? When I was 25 years old, the story is much deeper, but I'm not going to tell the whole story because there may be people watching online that I'll make mad. So I'll just say this. My wife was on vacation with her family and I was home alone. And unbeknownst to her, I went and paid $2,000 for a 1975 CJ5 short body Jeep. And when she got home, she saw it sitting in the driveway. A lot of lessons in that, but today, I'm going to tell you this about it. I learned very quickly, what do they say about cars? They're a labor of love, right? You're not going to make money on them. I learned very quickly that I started having to sink money into this thing. $1,000 for brakes, hundreds of dollars to fix the steering, $1,000 for tires. And eventually we got to a place where we needed to sell the Jeep. And it was so incredibly difficult for me to sell this Jeep. You know why? Because I had invested so much money into it. That's the reason some of y'all ain't got rid of some of your kids. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, by the time you get home from the hospital and get those bills, you're like, we got too much sunk into this thing. We can't get rid of them now. Let's at least try, you know? That's the reason some people ain't here this weekend, because you know how much money they got invested in travel ball? We ain't missing. I paid $300 for that bat. We're putting it to use. Nothing wrong with a $300 bat, but you, you get the idea that Jesus is saying. He continues to be very practical. Listen to verse 22 as he continues in verse 23. And this is a weird like part of the scripture that typically gets pulled out of context when someone is talking about purity. And we referenced it when we were talking about purity a few weeks ago, but I made sure to tell you guys this is the context. But the overall theme applies to purity. So there's an alarm going off somewhere. Somebody take your pills. That's your phone, you know. Every time my phone goes off, it's like, take your pills, Josh, you know. Verse 22, he continues and he, he says very practically, listen to what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus now says, protect your eyes from material things that look good but are empty. Jesus here is addressing our focus. And what he's really saying is we need to have a singular focus. In our translation that we read, it says, if your eyes are healthy, your translation that you regularly read may have a better translation where it says, if your eyes are clear, the Greek word for clear or healthy is spelled H-A-P-L-O-U-S. And what it means is it's motivated by singleness of purpose so as to be open and above board. It can be translated single, without guile, sincere, or straightforward. So what Jesus is saying is we have to have a clarity of focus. We just went through the book of James, and we saw this phrase over and over. What Jesus is saying here is you can't be double-minded in this area, or a better way to put it was, is you can't have double vision in this area. 
You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Remember last week, he talked about being hypocritical when it comes to generosity, prayers, fasting. You can't half the time be living for the world in a carnal state and the other half the time be living for Jesus. If you do that, if you ride the fence, you're going to get bit on both legs. And it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Jesus is like, you've got to be focused completely on God's kingdom. The least we can do, as Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, is offer our body as a living sacrifice. We're giving everything to Christ. It's all His. Have a single-minded focus on the things of heaven. Don't have blurred double vision for the things of the world. Charles Quarles says in his commentary on this verse, the good eye is the one whose focus is fixed on God and whose vision is not blurred by focusing on two objects at the same time, God and possessions. So he says, have healthy eyes. Make sure you're looking at one treasure, one kingdom, one master. Don't be distracted by anything this world has to offer. Practically, this is very good for us because typically in my life, the things that I get distracted by and I start to kind of lean in my mind towards a spirit of greed instead of having a spirit of generosity in my life is when I see things that I think I absolutely have to have. I don't know if y'all are like that. I got a couple of pictures for you to show you some stuff. Go ahead and put that first one up. Anybody in here like to fish? Raise your hand. You ever been like walking through a marina at the ocean or went by a lake and thought to yourself, that looks so awesome. It looks so awesome. If I could live on that lake, if I could have a boat like this, my life would be so much better. Now, don't get it twisted. We're going to cover this. Nothing wrong with a boat. Nothing wrong with fishing, okay? We'll cover that. But, but you ever thought that? Go ahead and hit the next one. I see stuff like this, man. Those Jeeps, man. Now, I've heard newer Jeeps aren't in uh, manual transmission, so that doesn't count as a Jeep. I just need y'all to know that. You got to have like, you got to have that anti-millennial theft device on there. You know what I mean? It's got to be a straight, straight shift, manual trans. Gen Z can't drive them either if you got a manual, so that's just a tip. That's free, okay? But I see a Jeep on the road like this. And if I'm being honest with you, my mindset is kind of starting to shift because I used to see it, and I still kind of do this, and go, man, that's awesome. How cool would it be to drive something like that? Now I've started to think, that's awesome, but they're going to be paying that off for the next 100 years. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, I'm glad I ain't got a Jeep like that. But anyway, it looks great, and it makes me want one. Men are visual, right? That's why we like big tires, if you didn't know that, ladies, that's why, that's why we got to have all these weird bumpers on a car and stuff like that, because it looks so cool. Brush guards and lights and all this stuff on a car makes you want it. Hit the next one. I, I, I've been, uh, my wife and I, when we go on vacation and we go to the beach, we'll get on like the real estate app and we'll look at, look at houses like this. We'll say, man, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool? One day, oh man, what if we just, like, and this is how we justify it. We don't want a mansion. If we just had like a little bitty beach house, it would be so awesome to wake up and see the ocean. Nothing wrong with beach houses. Nothing wrong. Maybe one day we'll get one, you know? But like, like man, we see them when we go, and it makes us want it. Hit the next one. Of course, I would include this one, a Ruth's Chris Steak and Lobster. Doesn't that look amazing? 
like, get that Taco Bell out of here. That looks, I gotta have it. And finally, the last one, of course, you knew I'd put this one up there. Look at those J's, man. Those are the Jordan 11s. They're the hardest to find. They're Concords. Black and white, man. Amazing shoes. Struggle's real. Struggle's real, man. The Nike app always sending me updates. Hey, Josh Cardwell, you are in the queue to be one of the first. You know, the sneaker app sends me these beautiful pictures that look great on my full color phone. You can buy these before anybody else for just $200. You can have them. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm going, oh, I want those so bad. Hadn't tried them on. Don't know if they're comfortable. Don't know if they fit, but they look amazing. Protect your eyes. Don't get caught up in the deceptive allure of riches or the things of this world. Our possessions and pursuits must be submitted to Christ's plans and priorities, not our own desires or the world's. Now let's look at the last verse. And let's get to the heart of the matter, which I believe is really at the core of what Jesus is speaking about here. And if you've been at Revolution Church a while, you know that I've taught on this several times, but it's been a couple of years, and this will be good review for you. But if you're new to Revolution Church, you've probably never heard this verse unpacked in depth like I'm about to do, because I'm about to make a correction to most of the translations that are out there, and we're going to dig into this. Listen to what it says in verse 24. Y'all with me? Say, I am. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you can be generous or greedy, but you can't be both. Again, the, the double vision concept comes in play here. You know, where it says you cannot serve both God and money, my translation, it says the word money, but a better translation, the King James Version actually does a very good job of translating this is, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Everybody say mammon, mammon. That's the actual word that is used. And mammon in the Bible is used in several different places, and it's translated as money, wealth, material possessions, greed, gluttony, any dishonest worldly gain. It's really, the concept is the idea of materialism, but the word mammon has a specific meaning. It refers to a Syrian and Chaldean god of wealth that's similar to the Greek god of wealth, Plutus. So don't miss this. In this passage, in this verse, Jesus is personifying greed by describing it as a demonic spirit called mammon. Now, I'm going to refer to this as a spirit of mammon or a spirit of greed. You ever heard uh, Christians say, typically our more charismatic brothers and sisters say, don't have a spirit of this or a spirit of greed or a spirit of carnality or a spirit of this. What they mean is don't have an attitude or a thought process of mammon, a spirit of greed. Greed defined means intense and selfish desire for something, 
especially two things, wealth and power, which are inevitably connected together. The best definition of greed, I think John Rockefeller gave it, and I've said this several times. Uh, You know who Rockefeller is? Rockefeller Center, one of the richest men that's ever lived in America. Somebody asked him one time, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. That's greed. God's already blessed you, but you just keep thinking to yourself, if I just had a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more. Now, Rockefeller was also quoted as saying, I've made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Jesus is pointing out that there is a spiritual war inside each of us between a spirit of greed and a spirit of generosity. Now, let me clarify. The war is not against money itself. Money in and of itself is morally neutral and powerless. In fact, the government decides how much money is actually worth, and you decide the priority money takes in your life. Money is a tool designed by God to test us, number one, and the word is stewardship. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to govern the resources that God has given us? And it is used in this world in order to Build God's kingdom. But what Jesus is saying is, listen, your money, it has a spirit on it. There's an attitude that you have towards your money, and there's an attitude that comes with it. Your money can have God's spirit on it, which means you're going to use it to worship him, or your money can have a spirit of mammon, or a spirit of greed on it, and you will use all your money to satisfy your flesh. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. I've quoted this several times already in in this sermon, but it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not the love, not money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, the spirit that you have towards money, the attitude that you have towards money, the thought process that you have towards money. What you do with money and wealth is 100% spiritual. Pastor Robert Morris, who wrote a great book called The Blessed Life, it's really where I kind of hit on the spirit of mammon here, and a lot of my study came from this. I have to give him props, uh, even in this sermon. He says, wealth that is devoted to serving God rather than trying to replace him is blessed by God. But money that is not submitted to God, in other words, it's used to control or manipulate or you think you're going to get your happiness or fulfillment from it, has a spirit of greed on it. And greed is a spirit that comes from the world. Greed is a liar. Greed leads to selfishness, coveting, and envy. And every single one of us on some level struggles with a spirit of greed give you a couple of examples. Maybe you can relate. Some of y'all, maybe at some point in your life, maybe it's not this specific place, but you went somewhere like this and this happened. You went to Dollywood and you realized, wow, we can save $25 to $50 a ticket on people that are under 12 years old. So you went to your kids You said, guys, when we get to the front gate, 
we're going to tell them that you're under 12 so we can save some money. So you need to shave your beard off. You're walking up to the ticket counter and your kid is putting a cigarette out. You know what I'm saying? If you've ever done that, you fell victim to the spirit of mammon, the spirit of greed. If you've ever went to eat somewhere and they have self-serve soft drinks, and they say, what do you want to drink? And you say, oh, I'll just have a cup of water. And you take that cup knowing full well you're going to fill it up with lemonade. Remember, McDonald's used to sell large soft drinks when they were self-serve. They may still be uh, for $1.29. But they sold large sweet teas for 99 cents. And I knew people that would say, I want a large sweet tea, knowing full well they were going to fill it up with Diet Coke. For 29 cents, you took the blessing off your money and fell victim to a spirit of mammon. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. A couple months ago, I had to remulch my flower beds and uh, went to Walmart and paid for 30 bags of mulch and then went outside to where the mulch is. And of course, you know, Walmart uh, customer service is first class. There was nobody out there to help me. And, uh, and if you work at Walmart, we love you. It's just, it's Walmart. You know what I'm saying? Like it is what it is. And so, um, so I'm out there loading up 30 bags of mulch myself in the back of my truck, and I thought to myself, I really need to get 10 more bags. <clears throat> I don't want to have to come back here. And the enemy sent a thought to my mind, or maybe it was my flesh, that said, just load 10 extra bags up. Nobody's even going to notice. It's no big deal. It's a huge corporation. You think they're going to miss the $30 that you're going to pay for this 10 bags of mulch? It's the spirit of mammon, the spirit of greed. It's demonic. I had to walk all the way back in. Of course, they closed the stinking register that's closest to me, and I had to walk all the way through the store and go to the front. And Then they're like, what's the barcode? And I had to walk back out, get a picture of the barcode so they could scan it and saw 50 people I knew. And, you know, you know y'all know what I'm saying? Spirit of greed. See, greedy people have the most fear about their money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money, notice it doesn't say whoever has money. So this isn't a guilt trip this weekend if you've been successful and you've worked hard and you've got money in the bank. The idea is what's your attitude towards it and what do you use it for? That's the question this weekend. Nothing wrong with having money. It's whoever loves money, the spirit, the attitude towards it never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Why? Because they're always in fear. I don't think I'm going to have enough. Greed influences us. It's kind of like there's a, there's a devil on one shoulder, there's an angel on the other shoulder, and the devil is telling you if you just get the right clothes, if you drive the right car, if you have the right house, if you have the right stuff, then everything's going to be okay. A spirit of greed promises what only God can give, security, significance. The spirit of greed says money is the answer to everything. If you have more money, man, people would listen to you then. If you had more money, you'd have more power. 
you had more money, you'd have no relationship problems. If you had more money, you'd get to do what you want to do. You ever sat around and had these conversations? My wife and I have. And what if we won the lottery? What would we do? I'm here to tell you the lottery has destroyed more lives than it's helped. You know why? Because when you have more money, it makes you more of what you are. If you're generous and you get more money, you'll be more generous. If you're carnal and you get more money, you'll be more carnal. And it'll destroy your life. I know rich people that think they need more. And I know plenty of poor people that think they need more. And everything in between, they think it's the answer to everything. I remember I was serving at a church. It's the one I served at in North Carolina. And the church was going through like a crazy split. Crazy split. Church splits are awesome. I mean, it was nuts, y'all. There was nutso stuff going on. Like I'm telling you, I've told you all this before, but you ain't lived until you've seen two 80-something-year-old men almost getting a fist fight on a platform like this over who's going to play guitar. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And that's the kind of stuff that was going on. Like demons were everywhere. It was crazy the stuff was going on. And the senior pastor that I was serving under as the youth pastor said something along these lines. If somebody would just give us $50,000, it would solve everything. And thank God somebody in the room spoke up and said, no, that wouldn't solve any, everything. If God intervened, it's going to solve everything. He's the only one that can fix this mess. So we get it. The church has not always been the best example when it comes to generosity and greed, but that's one example of buying in to a spirit of greed. Money will fix everything. No, God fixes everything. Greed says money, material things can be a substitute for God. But what I'm telling you this weekend, money is not the answer to your problems. Jesus is. He's the only answer to your problems. In fact, let me ask you this. Can God help people that don't have any money? Can he? Yeah, they don't have to have a minimum income for God to be like, all right, I'll help them now. You know what I'm saying? He helps the poor. That's proof that money does not solve anything. God is always the answer to your problem. Generosity is the remedy for a spirit of greed. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you struggle with a spirit of greed, generosity is the cure. When I was young, my mom used to give me two kinds of medicine that I can remember. The first kind was an over-the-counter orange liquid that she would give me that I loved. It tasted really good, but I don't think it did anything for me. The second time, the second kind was the kind she would get from the doctor that would come from the pharmacy that they used to have to make, and it was cherry-flavored, and it tasted like awful. Okay, I was going to say something else, but I'm not going to get in trouble. It tasted terrible. It tasted terrible. That was the medicine that when I took it actually made me feel better and made me get well. The cure for a spirit of greed is generosity. I'm going to tell you this, though. When you first start to take that medicine and be generous after you've lived a life where all you've thought about is yourself and selfishness and listen to a spirit of greed, it's going to taste bad for a while. Anybody that's ever been to rehab will tell you that your body goes through what's known as withdrawals when you get off those drugs, and it feels like you're going to die. If you ever started a diet and tried to cut sugar out, you know what your body does for the first you know, month. Give me Krispy Kremes. Where's my icy that you usually give me this time of day? Like your body freaks out. It's the same thing spiritually. 
Where's my Amazon boxes? Y'all know what I'm saying? It's been like a month since you've been anywhere. We're never traveling anymore. Ah, what do we do? You start to be generous. It absolutely will affect you. And it's definitely tough, but it's definitely good for you. And eventually, God will start to heal you in this area. See, we got to understand this about generosity and giving. Let me ask you a question. Does God need you to do anything he wants to do? Okay, the answer is no. So let's answer that with a little more confidence next time, okay? I've been very bad at teaching y'all this if you think God needs you. Does God need anybody in this room to do anything he wants to do? Nope. Does God need your money to do anything he wants to do? Nope. Then you need to understand this. Generosity is not something God wants from you. It's something God wants for you so that you can live a fulfilled life so that you can have joy in your life. Think about this. God created tithing. And don't send me emails being like, well, technically tithing is Old Testament and we're not supposed to. I'm not arguing over that, okay? Tithing is defined as regular, sacrificial, joyful giving. He created offerings, which are what we give above and beyond our tithes. He created it for our benefit, not so it's something we hate to do. And, oh, here's Josh again working us. He's really trying to get that building paid off. This is why we go verse by verse through Scripture. Like, because like, man, we didn't plan this. You know what I mean? We're going through Sermon on the Mount. We landed on this. I'm not, I'm not trying to work anybody. Generosity is the cure for selfishness. Generosity is the cure for fear. Why do I say that? Well, perfect love casts out fear. So the exact opposite of fear is love. And we know that you can give without loving, but there's absolutely no way you can love without giving. No way. If you love, you're going to give. If you've been married to your wife for 20 years and you've never sacrificed anything for her, given her anything, you ain't been married for 20 years. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say amen. A couple of weeks ago, we read this verse. Maybe been last week. John 3.16, the essence of the gospel. If you're an unchurched person in here, you don't even go to church. You know this verse that starts out like this. Help me, church. For God so loved the world that he, whoa, he gave. If I'm not a generous person, then I'm not a loving person. You know, there's been several times in our church's history that uh, my son, Titus, he's 12 now. And I think that, like, kids, man, they have, like, this childlike faith and think about how this connects to generosity where they lean towards generosity now some some kids and some people have the spiritual gift of generosity and there is a spiritual gift of generosity we're all commanded to be generous but some people just like 
give like crazy and it's just a spiritual gift they have. They don't think anything of it. They don't worry about it. They just, they're obedient. They give and they give and they give. They give away everything in their life if they could. And so it's a real important spiritual gift that some people have. And, and maybe my son has this, but I just think it's like a childlike faith thing. But there's been several times in our church that uh, he's taken all the money he has saved up and he's give, given every bit of it. And I can remember like when he was younger, it was like just change. You know what I mean? Like he had a Darth Vader bank one time that he had filled up with change that he would find in the cushions. And he'd always rob me when I'd put my change on the counters. And, uh, and so he just gave that one year. And I'm like, all right. But now he's like getting older and he's 12 and like he's mowing people's yards and he's making money. And, and I've noticed that like this last time, which was probably less than a year ago, he took like two or $300, every single bit of money he had, and he gave it to the facility. And this may make me sound completely unspiritual, but as his dad, he didn't tell me he was doing that. And when we got home, he told us. And like, I was like, son, why didn't you tell me before? You didn't need to give all that money. You could have you saved some for yourself. And boy, the Lord convicted me. He gets it. And you don't. And you're the freaking pastor. You know what I mean? Like, what's wrong with you? Wouldn't this make it for such a better example? I encouraged him to give it all, but I'm being honest with you. I'm like, dude. He gets it. You know? Somewhere along the way, we lose that. The cynical person sitting out in the crowd right now is thinking, yeah, but he doesn't have bills, and he doesn't have this. Yeah, yeah. The devil's speaking right through you, isn't he? Putting those thoughts in your mind. Because money's spiritual attitude towards it is at least Jesus says you can't submit to two kings you can't obey two commanders and chiefs you can't serve two masters you can't worship two God divided loyalty is not an option in any area of your life even with your finances the encouragement this weekend is if you desire true life don't settle for being rich on earth choose instead to be rich toward God who gives eternal rewards. Make sense, Rev Church? All right, let's take an offering up. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> we don't take an offering up here. We just have boxes in the back and an app you can download. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for this word. I thank you for scripture. I got anybody in here that says they don't struggle in this area either has a miraculous gift from the Holy Spirit that is a spiritual gift of generosity And they've got to be careful not to give too much or they're lying. I pray for every single person in here. God, that fear would not control their decision-making and their thought processes when it comes to their finances and generosity. The people that are like me that grew up in a poverty culture never had anything. And now... The enemy comes in with thoughts about, you better make sure you have enough. You better have enough saved up. You better, God, just pray for radical obedience in the area of our wealth. I pray that at Revolution Church, people are so generous, whether it's to the church specifically or even outside the church, in every single way that people look just like they looked when we put a million dollars down on a building and said, how did they do that? That's insane. 
Crossville doesn't have a lot of money. How did that happen? God did it through his people. You blessed us, and the people were obedient. So I pray that it's a testimony. Again, not just the church getting money, but but people being generous in so many other ways. I pray that we just offer everything as a sacrifice for you. And that the enemy would not come in this weekend and rob in people's minds what you're trying to do in their life with skepticism and the spirit of criticalness towards a sermon on money, but that people would be set free from a demonic spirit of greed. And they'd find freedom in their life and trust fully and completely in you. I pray for those people that today, for the first time in a long time, they're going to give. God, that they recognize spiritual warfare is real. If they're going to give today, you can rest assured tomorrow something crazy is going to happen that's going to test their faith. Give us the strength to be obedient and focus completely on you and the purpose we have from you. We love you, Lord. You are awesome and you are mighty. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. We love you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.